sun is down and the stars are out. Everyone turn up your volume and turn down your lights. The Twilight Beacon begins transmitting now. Jedediah D. Blackwell here, coming to you from the Twilight Beacon, here in the American Southwest. Tonight, we bring you two frightening stories from vintage radio broadcasts, featuring the voices of two of the most iconic and celebrated actors of Hollywood's golden age, Richard Widmock and Vincent Price. Our first selection comes from the radio program Inner Sanctum, a show that ran for over ten years and left a distinct mark on American pop culture. Inner Sanctum offered some of the most dark and deadly stories available to audiences, but its appeal was in the presentation by the show's host, originally Raymond Johnson, who was replaced in 1945 when he left to serve in the Army. Johnson established Inner Sanctum's trademark wry humor as the host, stringing together grim puns and witticisms as he played the part of the Sanctum's caretaker. Johnson would welcome the audience after they heard the familiar creaking door opening, which became the most well-known hallmark of the program. The Inner Sanctum radio show's popularity resulted in a series of six Inner Sanctum Mysteries films, all starring Lon Chaney, and later a television series and 1970s radio revival. Inner Sanctum was such a cultural highlight of its time that it was frequently parodied, getting send-ups from The Three Stooges, Bugs Bunny, and Mad Magazine. The host persona created by Raymond Johnson would be often imitated by similar programs, most notably by local television late-night horror movie hosts like WFLD Chicago's Sven Gulli and Tales from the Crypt's host, The Crypt Keeper. Richard Widmark was already a well-known dramatic actor in radio by the time he made this appearance on In a Sanctum, and he would be featured on numerous radio programs throughout the 1940s. In 1947, he broke onto the Hollywood scene with an Academy Award nomination for his debut film performance as Tommy Udo in Kiss of Death. His portrayal of the cackling and murderous villain Udo shocked audiences, and it was later learned that as a fan of Batman comics, he modeled his depiction of the character after the Joker. Widmark went on to play villainous roles in a string of film noir crime films, before finally becoming a popular leading man in his own right. He starred in dozens of films, many of them westerns and war dramas. He was frequently partnered with Sidney Poitier after the two became friends during the shooting of No Way Out, Poitier's debut film. And now, The Shadow of Death, as heard on Inner Sanctum in October of 1945. Inner Sanctum Mysteries Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. We're having a party tonight for two of my favorite corpses. I call them Romeo and Juliet. They're newly dead, you know. <laughs> yes, she's the daughter of a famous society murderer, and he's the pride of the East Side Morgue. Oh, they're so happy together in their mausoleum built for two. 
And you should see the bridal casket. Shame on you, Mr. Host, making fun of such a tragedy. But, Mary, it was a touching ceremony. Of course, I stood up for the groom. Naturally, the poor fellow couldn't stand up for himself. (laughs) Oh, please. It's an occasion for tears, not for laughter. That's right, Mary. Well, Mary, let's tee off into tonight's story. It's called The Shadow of Death. And it's an original radio play by that boogie-woogie man, Robert Sloan. Yes, and our star tonight is Richard Widmark, who plays the role of Howard. All set? Then turn off the lights and let in the shadow of death. On a lonely dirt road that borders the village cemetery, a single car slows to a stop and parks in the moonless night. Inside it, a man leans back in his seat and reaches for the hand of the girl he loves. Howard. Yes, dear? Why did you stop here? The cemetery's right over there. Oh, I didn't notice. You drove here last night, too. Did I? Yes. (laughs) Well, you're not frightened, are you? Tonight I am. You've been so strange, so far away. I... I feel as if I hardly know you. Darling, you mustn't feel that way. What's the matter, Howard? There's something on your mind. I'm going away, Marie. Oh, no. And I'm not coming back. Howard, why? Well, I don't really know if I can explain it. It seems so incredible, and and yet I know it must be true. What? Something I've discovered about myself. Something strange and frightening, Marie. Wherever I go... I seem to cast a shadow. A shadow of death. I... I don't understand. No, I didn't either at first. I thought it was just a strange coincidence. But it isn't. It's me. I bring death wherever I go. Oh, Howard, you don't really believe that. Well, how can I believe anything else? Haven't you noticed what happens to every living thing I have around me? No. I can't keep a pet of any kind, a cat or a dog. Even a plant dies when I have it in the house. Oh, darling, that's just your imagination. You've been working too hard. You need a rest. No, I'm going away, Marie. I don't want any harm to come to you. No, please. Nothing's going to happen to me. This is just... What's the matter? Nothing. I... I was just looking at the flowers in my corsage. Good heavens. They're dead. You don't believe me either, do you, Doctor? Well, let's not put it on that basis, Howard. After all, I've been trained to look for the physical causes of death, not the supernatural. Then what do you think I should do? Frankly, I'd like you to spend a few weeks away from these surroundings. Go up to the sanitarium I told you about. They'll take good care of you up there. All right, Doctor. I'll make arrangements to go tomorrow. But I know it won't do any good. You'll be surprised, Howard. Two or three weeks from now, you look back on this as a... Yes? That's strange. Those goldfish in my aquarium. They're all dead. Tell me the truth, Howard. Are you comfortable here in the sanitarium? They, they don't believe me. They don't believe that people die when I dream about them. 
people die. Yes, you... didn't you know that? Every time I have a dream about someone, it, it's a sign of death. And the next morning when I wake up, I look in the obituary column and I see the name of the person I dreamt about. Well, Howard, what have they done to you here? Nothing, only they don't believe me. The, the, the dreams, I mean. I had to prove it to them this morning. And it made me feel very bad. What made you feel bad? The dream I had last night. I killed a man, Marie. What? I killed him in my dream. Oh. He was a good friend of mine, too. He lived right across the hall. Oh, hall. Howard, please. You've got to get hold of yourself. But I'm afraid, Marie. I don't want to dream anymore. Oh, darling, I can't bear to see you this way. Oh, I... I'll get you out of here. I promise, Howard. I'll get you out of here today. But, Marie, there isn't a chance of getting him out. You may have to stay in this institution for months. Oh, no. Dr. Gerard, can't you see what's happening to him? He's losing his mind. Well, I know he's taking a turn for the worse. That's all the more reason for keeping him here. It might be dangerous to discharge him now. Then why don't you do something to help him? We're doing everything we can. It's not easy. He persists in thinking he has this strange power of death. Nobody is able to convince him he's wrong. What about the man across the hall? Howard said they were good friends. That's another thing. They were good friends. But unfortunately... That man died this morning. Come in. Ah, good morning, Howard. How do you feel today? Oh, much better, doctor. Much better. No bad spells last night? No curious moods? No, I feel fine. Almost well enough to go home. Let me look at your eyes. You will let me go home again, won't you, Doctor? Yes, Howard, of course, of course. You, uh, haven't had any of those dreams lately, have you? No, no, not for a long time. Are you sure? Well, I, uh, I did have one last night. You dreamt that someone was dead? Yes, I did, but, but, but I, I, I know it's not true. It can't be true. Whom did you dream about, Marie? No, Doctor. I dreamt about you. That's why I know I'm wrong. You're a live doctor. Don't you understand? You've proven it to easy, me. Easy, easy now, Howard. Tell me about your dream. Well, I, I dreamt I was going home. And all the people I'd killed in my dreams were alive again. Yes, go on. Well, somehow or other, I could see my house from this window. And everything was just as it was a long time ago. The flowers were growing, the dog was in the yard. The one that was run over? Yes, everything was well again. And I was well, too. That's why I wanted to go home. But you and Marie's mother didn't want me to. She was in the dream, Marie's mother? Yes, I, I don't know how she happened to be there, but she was. That's all right, Howard. Go on. Well, I started to leave, Doctor, but she held me back. She held my arms like this. And then you jumped up to ring the bell for help. But before you reached it, I was on top of you like this. Oh. I had my fingers around your throat. Oh, and I was squeezing it so hard. I could feel your windpipe bending back oh, until you couldn't breathe anymore. Oh, let go. That's what you said last night, you fool. You wanted me to let go. Help on. Until your face turned as blue as it is now. It was almost black before I let you go. But first, first I made sure you were dead. 
And then I dropped the body. You see, Doctor, my dreams do come true. <laughs> well, have you had any good dreams lately? Howard has. And you know, his dreams don't need interpretation. No, they need cremation. <laughs> Say, it's a lucky thing that guy works on the night shift. It'd be awful if he had daydreams, too. <laughs> good gracious, yes. His dreams not only walk, they commit murder. <laughs> Mary, I was about to say that. Please leave the jokes to me. Let's get back to our dream man and find out what he does in his waking moments. When we left him last, he had just done a little manual work on Dr. Gerard's windpipe. And now, as the good doctor lies comfortably on the sanitarium floor, Howard is in the process of going through his pocket. Well, I'll have to have the keys to your car, doctor. I'll need them to get back home. I hope you won't mind if I hide you under this bed. It may take them a little bit longer to find the body if I do. Yes, who is it? Dr. Frisbee, Howard. May I come in? Well... Yes. Yes, I, I'll open the door. What is it, Doctor? Well, I was looking for Dr. Gerard. I thought he was in here. Oh, yes, yes, he, he was a moment ago. I, I, I think he went down the hall. Uh, no, I just came from there. I guess he went back to his office. Oh, yes, I guess he did. How are you making out, Howard? Fine, fine, Doctor, fine, fine. You seem a little nervous. Your hands are shaking. Oh, well, I... You see, you've dropped your keys. I'll get them. All right, Howard. I wasn't going to take them away from you. But I am wondering how you happen to have any keys in your possession. Well, they're, uh, they're, they're not really mine. Uh, whose are they, Dr. Gerard's? Uh, yes, yes, he, he left them here. I, I mean... You he... mean uh, you stole them from him? No. Now, come, Howard. You can't expect me to believe Dr. Gerard would give you any keys. Now, you'd better let me have them. So I can give them back. But I, I Let didn't... me have them, Howard. Thank you. You won't tell him I took them, will you? No, Howard, I won't tell. But uh, please don't take them again. I'll go anyway. I'll get out onto the road and I'll get a hitch. Yes, sir, I'll get away. I've got to speak to Marie. Going down, mister? I guess not. I guess I'm... A... Oh, oh, here comes another one. Hey, stop! Give me a ride, will you? Give me a ride, please, mister? Oh, he's stopping. Hey, hey, wait for me, will you, mister? I'm coming. I'll be right there. Oh, gee, thanks, mister. You, you going into town? Yes, Howard, but you're not. Oh, Dr. Frisbee. Yes, I've been watching you ever since you took those keys. I thought you'd try something like this. Well, I, I had to, doctor. I understand. Better get in the car, Howard, so we can talk this thing over. All right. You know, it's silly to run away from our place up there. If you really want to go home, all you have to do is ask. I did ask. When? This morning. Oh, wait a minute. Don't start the car. Why not? There's a truck coming. In back. Where? Oh, Howard, let go of me, Howard! I've got to have this car, Doctor. When I finished with it... 
I'll return it to you. Hello? Hello, Mrs. Walker. Who's this? Howard. You remember me, don't you? Howard, where are you? In a telephone booth around the corner. You were out in the sanitarium? No, I've been discharged. Dr. Gerard said I could go. You mean you're well again? Yes, I'm completely cured. Oh. Oh, I see. You don't sound very happy about it, Mother. Where's Marie? She's, uh, she's out on a date. When will she be back? Well, I, I don't know, Howard. She, she didn't say. I've got to see her again, Mrs. Walker. I've got to see her once more before I die. Before you die? Yes, I haven't much longer to live. Now, where is she? Well, I, uh, I... I think she said she was going to movies. You're lying. I'm not, Howard. I, I, I just can't be sure. But if you go to the theater, you, you might find her there. You don't want me to see her, do you? Uh, no, not until I've spoken to Dr. Gerard. Why? Don't you believe me? Don't you believe I'm well again? No, Dr. Gerard... Never mind what he said. Mrs. Walker, you mustn't dislike me. I'm very fond of you. You... You are, Howard? Yes. I've been thinking a lot about you lately. While I was in the sanitarium. Last night, I even had a dream about you. Keep bringing that number, operator. I've, I've got to locate Dr. Gerard. Why the hurry, Mrs. Walker? Howard, how did you get in here? Through the back door. Put that phone down, please. But I... Put it down, I said. Yes, yes. You lied to me about Marie being at the movies, Mrs. Walker. I, I didn't mean to, Howard. I, I told you I wasn't sure she was there. Where is she? This time I've got to know. Howard, how dare you? Get your hands off me. I'm not in a gentle mood, Mrs. Walker. I'm fighting against time. You've done something wrong, Howard. You've escaped from the sanitarium. No, I've done more than that, Mrs. Walker. I've killed a man. Howard. Two men, three men. I, I can't remember how many it was, but there's going to be one more. Howard, you, you wouldn't kill me, would you? Wouldn't I? What have you done to deserve your life? Uh, Let it ring. That may be my call. Your call is coming now, Mrs. Walker. Howard, please. Put down that knife. Will you tell me where Marie is? I told you I don't know. I don't know. And I'll wait for her. Right here. Howard, you can't. No, no, you can't. Oh. Yes, I can, Mrs. Walker. Hello? This is Dr. Frisbee, sanitarium calling. Is Mrs. Walker there? I'm sorry. You have the wrong number. Marie? Marie, darling? What? Well, Howard. Howard, what are you doing here? I've been waiting for you to come home, darling. Aren't you glad to see me? Well, yes, of course I am, and... It was such a surprise, I couldn't catch my breath for a minute. Where's Mother? Upstairs. Why? Oh, I just wanted to know. You had no other reason? No. 
Howard, why are you staring at me? I'm not really staring. I'm just looking at you, darling. It's been such a long time since I've seen you. I'd almost forgotten what you were like. Well, uh, let's go inside. No, if you don't mind, darling, I'd rather go for a ride. You're... You're all right, aren't you, Howard? I, I mean, you're, you're completely well now. Oh, can't you see I am? Yes, but I... Yeah. Then let's not wait any longer, darling. Come on, we'll go for a ride. It's getting late, Howard. Don't you think we ought to go back? No, not yet, Marie. You just keep driving. These few moments we have together, maybe I'll... Marie, why are you stopping here? Uh, we're low on gas, dear. I, I don't want to get stuck on the highway. Oh. Yes, ma'am. Will it be? Uh, you better fill her up. Right. And uh, have you got a telephone here? Yes, I'm right inside. Thank you. Wait a minute, Marie. What do you want with a telephone? Oh, I was going to call my mother. She'll be worried about me. Oh, no, she won't. She knows you're with me. <laughs> Besides, uh, she went out for a little while. Well, maybe she's back by now. It won't hurt to call, will it? No, I guess it won't. I'll be right back, Howard. Well, hurry, darling. I want to be with you as much as I can. Yes, I won't be a minute. Number, please. Operator, quick, get me the police. This is an emergency. Yes, ma'am, right away. Headquarters, Sergeant Dunn speaking. Sergeant, listen carefully. I won't have time to repeat it. The murderer of Dr. John Gerard is right here in a filling station on Route 6 at the Hadley intersection. What shall I do? I can't keep him here. Does he know you're on to him? No. No, he doesn't know I read the story in a newspaper just before I got home. He was waiting there for me, and I haven't been able to get to a phone since. Well, don't take any chances. He's a homicidal maniac. Don't even try to stall him if he wants to leave. No. Just stay where you are and we'll be over there in four minutes. Oh, no, no, that's no good. He won't let me stay here. He'll take me with him. Marie. Oh, he's calling for me now. Marie. Just a moment, Howard. What can I do, Sergeant? What can I do? Well, give me the description of the car, quick. It, it's a dark blue sedan. License number 468J3. We've been going east on Route 6, but... Oh, I can't talk anymore. He's coming. Marie, for heaven's sake, what kept you so long? Oh, I had a hard time getting the number. There was something wrong with the lines. But you were talking to somebody. Yes, I, I was speaking to Mother. You were speaking to your mother? Yes. She told me not to stay out too late. You're lying, Marie. No, I'm not, Howard. I talked to her. You talked to the police. That's why you lied to no. me. No. You did. Your mother's dead. Howard. I know, because I killed her. Oh, be quiet. Get back into the car. You're coming with no. me. No, Howard. You're hurting my arm. Get back in the car. Hey, you leave her alone. Keep out of this, you fool. Leave her alone. I told you to keep out of this. Oh, I know. Hey, put down that wrench. Now put it down. Oh, Howard, oh. oh, how could you? Never mind. Get into the car. Howard, why are you stopping here? Don't you know where we are, Marie? This is the cemetery. Where we stopped before. Yes. I like it here. It's so quiet and peaceful among the dead. Let's walk through the grounds. Howard, please. Why not, Marie? We're among friends. So many of our loved ones are buried here. It's nice to be near them. Come on, Marie. All right, Howard. You know, darling, we haven't much more time together. 
the shadow of death has fallen across our path. You said something like that before, but you never told me why. I'm being selfish, Marie. I know I have to die, and I want you to come with me. Why do you have to die, Howard? Because I... I haven't been true to myself, darling. I haven't been true to this power I have. The power of death? Yes. I've helped it along sometimes. Like that dream I had about my friend in the sanitarium. Like the flowers in my garden. Like those fish of Dr. Gerard's. You killed them? Yes. I knew they were going to die. But I shouldn't have helped them. That's why I'm being punished. But Howard... Why are you punishing me? I don't want to die alone, Marie. We've been away from each other so much, darling. I I want us to be together from now on. But... Don't be afraid, darling. I'll be gentle, Marie. So gentle. But you're making a mistake, Howard. No. You are. You've forgotten what you've done. You can't kill me, darling. Why not? Good heavens, Howard, don't you remember? Don't you remember that day at the sanitarium? You said you dreamt about me? No. No, I couldn't have. Yes, you did. Didn't they tell you what happened? No. Your dream. Your dream, it was true. That's why you can't kill me now. Marie, you... You mean... Yes, Howard. I'm dead. I can't believe it. Oh, you must believe it. Here. Here. Look at this tombstone. My grave is right here. No. Read what it says. Read the name on it. It's your name, Marie. Your name. Marie Walker. Yes. Then you... Then you really are dead. I told you I was, Howard. The shadow of death passed over me. Then let it pass over me. Hey, I got him, Sam. Got him the first shot. Keep out of the way, miss. He may not be dead yet. No, I... I'm sure he's dead. Well, you certainly had a close call. Took all this time to locate your car. Finally spotted it on the road. You all right? Yes, I'm all right. The name of... My grandmother's tombstone saved me. How's that? Oh, it, it doesn't matter. Say, that's funny. What? This guy was shot through the shoulder. My bullet wounds weren't serious enough to kill him. What do you mean? Well, I know it sounds crazy, but my shots didn't kill him. He was dead before I hit him. What a shame. Wasting two perfectly good bullets on a guy that was dead all the time. Well, at least they won't have to go far to bury him. Here's one villain who died practically in the middle of his own plot. (laughs) Isn't it funny how many of our stories seem to take place in cemeteries? Before I put the skeletons back in their closets, I'd like to give you a parting word of advice. A body should never be left alone at the morgue at night. 
After all, it might become slab happy. <laughs> and now it's time to close the squeaking door, so... Good night. Pleasant dreams. You just listened to The Shadow of Death, as heard on the October 2nd, 1945 broadcast of Inner Sanctum. Our next episode of Classic Horror comes from the radio program Escape. This show ran for seven years on CBS Radio and was the foremost program of its kind, featuring dramatic tales of adventure that ranged from spy thrillers to terrifying murder mysteries and even some science fiction plots. Famous guest stars were commonplace on Escape, and Vincent Price was among the most popular to perform on the show. He made multiple appearances in 1950, and the last of those was the episode we bring you tonight, titled Bloodbath. Price's voice is instantly recognizable, with the oozing charm and penetrating gravity that made him a star of the Hollywood screen. He was especially well-known for his work in horror and mystery films, where his unique delivery made him seem almost delighted to frighten the audience. And now Bloodbath, as heard on Escape in June of 1950. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Escape, brought to you by your Richfield gasoline dealer and the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York. Marketers of Richfield gasolines with xylene. Rich Lube, all-weather motor oil, and other famous petroleum products. Look for the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Tonight, we escape to the jungles of South America and a seething tale of terror and violence as told by James Poe in Bloodbath, starring Mr. Vincent Price. By portaging the rapids and walking the mules in the shallower stretches, we'd managed to get our supplies and equipment more than 1,700 miles up the river. After this, further navigable passage being impossible, we'd traveled by foot, hacking our way through the thick, steaming jungle, coaxing and goading the heavily laden beasts. We'd left the jungle and begun the climb. Eleven days later, high in the Andes, we found our objective, and we set to work, hard work. And then, on a hazy afternoon in late May, we found it. I shall never forget the scene. Below us, the mountains swung down to the jungle which stretched eastward, far as the eye could see. The peaks above us had cut off the setting sun and the light had a curious violet quality. The dank, chill wind whispering and gusting 
set the sparse timber scrubs to trembling and shuddering, and the mules, disdainful of their five strange masters, foraged the cacti and dwarf pine. The instruments were set up and the specimens were at hand, and now, crouched and tense, we leaned forward. How about it, Hess? Wait. The tube's got to warm up. Come on, come on. Wait, will you? I've waited five years for this moment. Five? Five hundred, you mean? Five million? Come on, Hessie. How about it, Hess? Mm-hmm. Okay. Give him the sample, O'Brien. Yeah, here. Come on, baby. Shut up, will you? Shh. Here goes. Switch on. Holy cow. Good. Good. It's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Hesse. What's the word? Yeah, Hesse, give. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Unless this machine is busted, unless this Geiger counter has forgotten its multiplication table, we have discovered the richest load of uranium ore known to man. I won't go into the details of how we'd come to locate the ore because that's a story in itself. Suffice it to say that late in the afternoon of that hazy May day, the five of us, gamblers all, came to the end of our rainbow, found our pot of gold. The vein runs all the way up the side of the mountain. Must be worth a million bucks. A million, a billion. A trillion bucks. <laughs> Do you boys realize what we've got here? Sure we do. We've got the world at our feet. Why, the man who gets the strike registered in his name can be a king. Every country in the world is going to come running up to him with trunks full of money and power. Ha <laughs> ha, you tell him, Hesse. Power? Yeah, we'll make the United States the most powerful nation on earth. Why the United States? Oh, you wouldn't sell to anybody else, would you? <laughs> I'm a businessman, Harris. You're a fool. No, no. I'm a businessman. A trillion bucks. <laughs> oh, gents, we've got the world at our feet. Split five ways. The world at our feet. Split five ways. That night, as I lay huddled under my thin blanket, I wondered what it would be like being a wealthy man. Wondered if it were really true. Wondered how it would affect the others, how it would affect me. In the morning, we were to set off on the long return journey down to the jungle and through the jungle to the launch and down the river to civilization. There, we'd register our claim, purchase, if need be, the land, lease it perhaps from the government. Hmm. Oh, millionaires, world at our feet. Uranium, enough to blow up the whole universe. Power. Harris, wake up. Uh, oh, what's, what's wake up, time? Harris, wake up. Oh, good morning, millionaire. Weems, wake up. Uh, uh, sun's coming up. Hey, uh, hey, where are the others? They're gone. Gone? gone? Yes, Dumont and O'Brien. They took the mules and most of the food and cut out. When? How do I know when? Sometime during the night. But why? Why? A trillion bucks, that's why. Oh, no, no, no. Once they get down to the jungle, they'll have to travel on foot. There's ten days' march to the river. If they beat us to the boat, we're stuck with 1,500 miles of jungle between us and safety. Fifty? Impossible. We'd never make a hundred. That's right. We've got to catch them or we're dead. We traveled as lightly as possible. 
It was a risky business, doubly so because O'Brien and Dumont had taken our guns with them. The only weapons we had between us were one long machete and two pocket knives. These would be of little protection against jaguars, bushmasters, tapirs, bow constrictors, and the rest of it. Fortunately, they'd left our number one necessity to survival. They'd forgotten to take our quinine. This and our food was all we carried. The long descent to the jungle was slow going on foot. It was here that we nearly gave up hope. We moved as fast as we could, but we were no match for men who were riding. But we reached the jungle. Then things took a better turn. Here the thick vines and heavy undergrowth was, we knew, almost an impossible hazard for a riding man. And we could see their boot prints mingled with those of the mules. We knew that they were having trouble, too. The animals were afraid of many things in the jungle. Would balk suddenly require careful handling? We pushed ahead as rapidly as possible, battling mosquitoes, pume flies, matukas, and the blood-sucking carpato ticks, and... Of course, the jungle itself, with its never-ending barrage of razor grasses, needle vines, swamps, bog traps, and so forth, it was hot, stinking hot, and the going was hard, but we had to make it. We couldn't travel at night. We'd taken our flashlights. We'd bundle up as best we could, protecting ourselves, not from the cold, it was hot and muggy even at dawn, but from the mosquitoes. And as we progressed towards the river area, from the bats, vampire bats. Ever seen them? <laughs> They're small, rather fragile-looking little things. By day, they hang heads down from the trees, wings folded like, like clusters of rotten fruit. By night, they hunt. They have razor-sharp teeth, bite like the finest steel scalpels. Their object is to break the skin very delicately, start the blood to coming, and then they simply hang on and sip. Without mosquito netting, we had a rough time of it, a sleepless time. But we managed to keep on going. And on the third day... Uh, it's no use, fellas. We can't make it to the river before them. We've got to, Reemsy. We've got to make it. He's right, Wings. Even if we do catch up, they got the guns. Shh, shh. Huh? What are you stopping? Oh, quiet, quiet. I heard something. What did you hear? Shh. Gunfire. Yeah. Come on. It can't be more than a mile or two ahead. Come on. We ran through the jungle, following the fresh marks of the animals and the two men. And a half an hour or so later, we broke into a little clearing... And there was Dumont. Dumont. He's dead. Shot in the back. <laughs> Good old Obi. Sweet guy, that Obi. Here, come on. Let's turn him over. He's really been sweating, huh? Yeah. It's malaria. You see his face? Good old Obi. And Dumont came down with malaria, probably started to slow him down. Sweet guy, that Obi. Come on. Come on, let's go. Yeah. Hey, they should have remembered the quinine. I got no sympathy for Dumont. Uh, you know, 
You know what would be nice? What? If that... If that Obi should get malaria now. Yeah. He'd be helpless. He'd ask me for quinine. And I'd throw him a stone. On we went. Now there were no boot marks with the mule tracks. Apparently, O'Brien was riding one of the animals. From time to time, we'd see a flurry of tracks churned up as though he had had to dismount to tug one of the beasts back onto the trail. We followed the tracks for another two days, and then on the sixth day, we found one of the mules. How you feeling, boy? Huh? Where's your saddle? He really looks beat. Look at those marks on his flanks. Vampire bats. Yeah. That leaves O'Brien on foot. Yeah. Hey, you hear that? Hey, it's the launch. Where did the river? He's starting the motor. Come on. Oh. Hey. Hey. It wasn't very far, just a few hundred yards, and the path was strewn with O'Brien's discarded supplies. Quite suddenly, we came out of the jungle and onto a narrow white sandbar, the river. And there, not 30 feet away from us, just drifting off into the deep, dark, fast-moving waters, was O'Brien in the launch. O'Brien! Look at him. He's like a skeleton. Obi! Wait for us, Obi! The launch lurched dizzily as it floated downstream. O'Brien was feeble, sweating, possessed. He had the fever, had it bad. Come on, let's go after you him. You can't. This is piranha water. Cannibal fish, they'll eat you. Yeah. Hey, Obi! Hey, you know me, Obi! Your old pal has me! Hey, what do you say, Obi? Huh? He staggered dizzily about the cockpit, trying to start the engine. He was laughing, and he was so weak that he could barely spin the flywheel to the kicker. Obi! He slipped! Good Lord, he's in the water! The fish, the piranhas! They got him, they got him! I ain't gonna look at this! One moment we saw him swimming weakly, his large, fever-ridden eyes turned imploringly toward us, and the next moment he was gone, leaving only a large, red-churning patch on the water. The piranhas are small, rarely more than 12 or 14 inches long, small fish with large, powerful jaws, teeth like broken glass, and an insatiable, maniacal appetite for flesh. The launch, caught by the deep, fast-moving waters, rocked softly this way and that, and moved on downstream, away, away around a bend and out of sight. We picked over the supplies O'Brien had left on the shore. There wasn't much we wanted. A gun without ammunition, a few tins of food, a tent and some bedding, cooking equipment, a coil of rope. We loaded these things onto the mule and set off through the jungle, downstream along the river's course, 1,500 miles to civilization. We had it tough. The jungle was thick along the river's bank, and we made little progress. Not more than five miles that day, but the next day... We rounded a bend, keeping close to the shore, and there, about a quarter mile below us, and nuzzling the opposite shore, grounded on the sand, lay the launch. 
Looks shallow enough here. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, but what about the fish? How deep does it look to you, Harris, at the deepest spot, I mean? Oh, I don't know, maybe two and a half feet, maybe three. Most of it's less than that. I got an idea. Shoot. We got to get across the launch, see? So here's what we do. We throw away everything. There'll be food and water in the launch, see? Yeah. Now, you see that little patch of sand in the middle of the river where the bar shows? Yeah. We go that way. That's bound to be the shallowest way, see? How do we go? On the mule, the three of us. Ah, you're nuts. This mule ain't in such bad condition it can't get the three of us across 70 feet of shallow water. What do you say, Harris? Why not? All right, I'll get aboard first. Come on. Get farther up, Weemsy. You're the lightest. Yeah. Harris, you get on next. Mm -hmm. Hang on to Weemsy. Here, here. Carry this coil of rope around your neck. We may okay. need it. I've got the machete strapped to my back. Hey, you set, Weems? Yeah. Now hold tight to me, Hess. Don't worry. If I go, you go too. Yeah. And if he goes, I go. So let's hang on, gents. Yeah. Let's really hang on. As long as he's moving fast, he can't get at his legs. Ain't that right? He's not showing anything to him but hoofs and hair. Hold his head up, Weems. Don't let him look down. Uh, you all set? Yeah, all set. All right, here we go. All right, get off. Come on, come on. Come on, baby. I felt the mule uh, lurch when he baby. stepped into the oh, water. The sand was on, softer here than on the shore. Sand, huh? Ahead, Come not on, 40 feet away, lay the Come little on. spit of land. The mule refused to Come. run, couldn't run, and before he'd taken 10 steps, I knew he was too weak to support the three of us. From every direction in the swirling water about us came small, shadowy, dark shapes. Come on. The piranhas. Don't stop! Come on, baby. Come on. Keep moving, baby. Come on. Move along, baby. He can't do it. You gotta do it, baby. Come on. Sweet Come mother... What are those? The piranhas were churning the water about us, and coming in from beyond them were four or five long, dark shapes, six and seven feet long, thick and wriggling. Eels, electric eels. Uh, they'll sting them. Get along to the bar. Get him to the sandbar. Faster, faster, come on. <laughs> Made it. It's true about electric eels. I can throw a jolt that'll kill a jaguar. Make a jaws like a vice. So, here we are, gentlemen, stuck. Just 30 feet of water between us and the shore. Get across it, and we can get to the launch and the civilization and all the rest oh, of it. The three of us are too much for that mule. Uh, only 30 feet. Why, you could run it in seconds. You see those little shadows around us in the water? I see those little shadows around us. You don't have to draw pictures. Hey, Oh, here's another bright idea coming up. As a matter of fact, yeah. Yeah, hold on to your hat, Harris. We got that curler rope. Yes. The mule could carry one of us. That mule's not in such bad shape, you know. Yes. Tie the rope over his bridle. Then one of us pulls him over with him fast, you see. One rides, and then the other two pull him back. Yeah. yeah. And the next one gets on. Yeah. What do you say? Oh, he can't stay here. It's a natural. Who uh, goes first? Me, on account I'm the lightest. I won't tire him so much. How about it, Harris? All right. Well, get going, then. Okay. Tie that rope to his bridle. I'm doing it. All right, give me the machete. What do you want the machete for? I want it, that's all. Give me. Oh. Okay. All right, Here. now you two get at the end of the spit. So as when you pay out the line, you don't get it caught in his legs. Well, you think of everything. That's right. I'm a smart boy. You ready with the line. You sure it's tied fast to the bridle? Yeah, I'm sure. No funny business, Weems. All we gotta do is jerk this rope once while you're over that water and you're done for. You're a sharp article. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But not sharp enough! Hey! Weems! You cut the rope! So long, sucker! The rope. Our only salvation was cut. And now Weems, grinning and riding, was out into the stream, heading for the shore and safety. Get up! 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 Get up!
he went not 15 feet when one of the long, dark, wriggling shapes made for the mule and got his leg. The mule reared up on his hind legs, the eel clinging to his foot, pumping paralyzing shocks into him. Weems clutched his neck with one hand and slapped him on the flank with the flat of the machete with the other. The mule came down and more eels went for his legs. He began to lurch sideways. Weems swung the long steel blade in an arc, barely missing the mule's leg and connected with one of the eels. His hair seemed to stand on end. His other arm released the mule's neck. The arm holding the blade was extended stiffly, still caught in the thick muscular back of the electric eel. And then the mule reared again, and Weems fell back into the water. The mule, freed of Weems, made the shore and vanished into the jungle. We turned away. No man could watch what was happening to Weems and retain his sanity. And so, there we were. Hess and I on that sand spit which the river was slowly washing away. Night coming, vampire bats coming, and all about us, the electric eels and the little cannibal fish waiting. There was no moon. There were evil stars, red and yellow. It was a black sky, and against it, blacker shapes, the vampire bats. We waved our arms and kept them off, but again and again, during that long and terrible night, they brushed against us, squealing and squeaking, trying to get us. Dark, evil, thirsting bats. A thousand years later came the dawn. That water's taken a lot of sand away. This thing isn't much bigger than a card table. Mm. Look at them. Look at those fish. You think they had enough to eat yesterday? Mm. Listen, Harris. No matter what happens now, at least you and I have played it square, right? Yeah, that's right, yes. Shake my hand, Harris. All right. Because I think I got an idea on how we can get out of here. What? Yeah. Look up there. Yeah. See see that vine hanging down from the big tree? It's over the water, and it must be 15 feet up. Yeah, yeah, but if you were on it, you could do a Tarzan to the shore. The rope? Oh, that's right. Now, if we can just lasso the end of that and pull tight, we'll have enough swing to make it across. Swing like a pendulum, if you follow me. One guy gets on the other's shoulders to swing over to get the start, see? Then when he gets to shore, he fastens a rock and swings the rope back to the other. Oh, that vine will hold. It'll work. <laughs> It took us two hours before we managed to lasso the end of that vine. And then we tested it again and again until we were positive it would hold a man's weight. And then we were ready. Ah, you stand good and steady now, pal. I'm going to go easy on you, but don't shake. Because if you spill me in that water, I'm a gone guy. I'm ready. <clears throat> I'm ready. Good luck. Uh, here. No! I felt his feet leave my shoulders, and then he was off, skimming the water with his feet drawn up, and then, miraculously, he was on the shore. Good boy! Good boy! <laughs> yeah! Like a breeze, huh? <laughs> like 
like a breeze. Hey, uh, any rocks around there? Sorry. He smiled at me and shrugged and then looked down the stream at the launch. I knew that smile, that trillion-dollar smile. It said, so long, sucker. Don't do it, Hess. Send me the rope. <laughs> You're too nice a guy, Harris. You and I would never get along. You, you can have it all, Hess, every scrap of it. Only for the love of mercy, send me the rope. No, no, you'd want some. You wouldn't approve of what I mean to do with it. Hess! <laughs> he stood there laughing at me and shaking his head slowly. But uh, above him, just over his head, was another vine, thick and mottled, and it was moving. Look out, Hess! Hess! <laughs> he didn't understand or didn't hear me. Just stood there smiling and shaking his head. The boa constrictor dropped heavily and accurately a thrashing tangle of scaly muscles. (laughs) The sun was hot, blistering hot. I was alone, all alone, except for the ever-waiting piranhas. Hess's body was hidden by the low, scrubby vines and palmettos. Several hours later, I saw the boa, now gorged, slither lumpily away. I waited, and I waited. From time to time, I thought of stepping out into the stream. It would be over very quickly, I told myself, very quickly. But I... I couldn't. And then I noticed an odd... The current which had been sweeping the sand away had shifted slightly. A whim, a miracle. And now new sand from some sunken bar was beginning to pile up between me and the shore, grain by grain, rib by rib. I watched this. And I watched. And I watched. And it Five o'clock that afternoon, I walked ashore to the lawn and didn't even get my feet wet. It's nice where I live. Quiet little streets, nice people, nice kids. Nice country. Peaceful. Nice peace. I know where there's enough uranium to blow it all to hell. Want it? Just go up the river. Up the river, it's, uh, it's for the taking. Ask Dumont and Obi and Weems and Hess. A trillion bucks worth. Enough to give the whole world a bloodbath. Yourself included. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight starred Mr. Vincent Price. Bloodbath was written by James Poe. Others in the cast were Wally Mayer, Ted DeCorsia, Paul Fries, and Tony Barrett. Special music arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. Tom Hanlon speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Escape.
That will wrap up this episode of The Twilight Beacon, featuring legendary voices of Hollywood's Golden Age. You heard The Shadow of Death, starring Richard Widmark from the October 2nd, 1945 airing of Inner Sanctum, and Bloodbath, starring Vincent Price, as broadcast on Escape, June 30th, 1950. The Twilight Beacon will return this Thursday, October 13th, with two vintage radio adaptations of stories from America's most revered author in the horror genre. Edgar Allan Poe. Until then, this is Jedediah D. Blackwell saying good night, everyone, and good luck getting to sleep. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Twilight Beacon Podcast. New episodes are released on thetwilightbeacon.com during the month of October and can be found on your favorite podcast apps and streaming services. The Twilight Beacon Podcast is produced and edited by Jason and Jacob Burgess. Music by Alexander Nakarada. Special thanks to the Old Time Radio Researchers Group and OTRR.com. Visit thetwilightbeacon.com for archived episodes and a schedule of upcoming shows. You can follow The Twilight Beacon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest program updates.